0: This morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Proverbs. All summer long, we've been trying to regain the lost art of wisdom. If you look at the front of your bulletin, uh, there's a short definition of wisdom for those of you who've um, not been with us or jumping in here kind of late. Uh, J.I. Packer, Knowing God, says, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the purest means of attaining it. So wisdom is trying to achieve the right goal with the right means. It's trying to live life well. So we've been trying to gain wisdom this summer. Um, The Bible tells us that whoever finds wisdom finds true life, both in this life and in eternity. So we looked at several different topics. We've studied wise speech, wise guidance, wise friendships, and wise family relationships. And in each one of those topics, we've seen there's two ways to live. There's the way of folly that leads to death in those areas, death of relationships and finances and, and peace in the world. And there's the way of wisdom, and the way of wisdom leads to life. I want to remind you of a verse that we read r- last week that stresses the importance of unity rather than division. Right? Wisdom brings unity instead of division. This is Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. 7 that they're an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and heads that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. God hates division, and God loves unity. So this week, we're going to attempt to regain something that is essential to maintaining that unity in our lives. We're going to try to learn good conflict resolution. Now, college students, you may not think that this is really applicable to you, but let me just tell you it is. It is vital to your life. Uh, one of the pastors I follow, his name's Tim Keller, and once he was doing a Q&A on Twitter, And a campus pastor got on there, and he asked him, he said, what is the most important thing for me to teach my college students? And he said, conflict resolution. The most important thing for you to learn right now is conflict resolution. Because it's going to impact your friendships. It's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact your family relationships. It's going to impact your work. It has drastic implications for all of your life. So this is incredibly important. What I want you to see this morning is that wise Conflict resolution rebuilds the bridges broken by sin. Wise conflict resolution rebuilds the bridges broken by sin. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and study your word. And we confess that we don't have the wisdom that we want and need to live this life well. We need to find wisdom so that we can find life. So we pray that you would give us your wisdom now through your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in the 1920s, the city of San Francisco realized that they had a huge opportunity. They saw their city as a massive place where growth and technology and development and flourishing could take place. But they had one gigantic problem, and the problem was their location. They were, they were right on the edge of the San Francisco Bay. So if you, you see San, California, all the way over to the Pacific Ocean, there's a little, I guess, peninsula, you would call it, that comes up, and San Francisco was right on the, the tip of that. The problem was, to, to expand their city, they really needed to be able to get to northern California. So to, they had to, the, the San Francisco Bay divided them, essentially divided them between Northern California and then. So to get to Northern California, you had to either drive all the way around the bay, which took a long time, or you had to take a ferry across this one mile wide channel. Now this one mile wide channel had very treacherous and dangerous waves, okay? Because what would happen is you had the Pacific Ocean on one side, and then you had the California mountains on the other side, and the wind would come out of those mountains and we'd create these massive waves in the channel that made it very difficult to take a ferry. So what they had to do was something that they thought was impossible, and is that is they had to build a bridge across the San Francisco Bay, okay? So they gathered the best architects from all around the world. They passed legislation to get $35 million to build this bridge, uh, which I don't know what the modern-day equivalent would be. I'm guessing it would be much, much more than that today, right? They gathered all the resources. They did everything they needed, and they began to build the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, They built two towers that were over seven hundred feet tall and weighed over twenty-two thousand tons. They built a. a Then they started using these wires. They used twenty-seven over twenty-seven thousand wires to build the the wires that go across the top and that hang down from the bottom so they could build the deck. To put that in perspective, that's enough wiring to wrap all the way around the globe three times. They used over 600,000 steel rivets to hold it all together. But eventually, after four years, they built a bridge that spanned one mile wide and that reached over 300 feet deep so that people could get across the bay to Northern California. It was treacherous, it was dangerous, it was challenging. They lost uh, several men in the process, died. But now, thanks to that bridge, over two billion cars have driven from San Francisco across the bay to get to Northern California. Now, why do I tell us that story about the Golden Gate Bridge? Uh, It's because of this. We need to think about our relationships in terms of a bridge. When you build a relationship with somebody else, what you're doing is building a bridge between you and them. In your families, you're building bridges. With your friendships, you're building bridges. With your professors, with your classmates, you're always building bridges to build relationships. Okay? And those bridges take time, money, energy, sacrifice. They're hard and they're challenging, but they're worth it because relationships are essential for life. Okay? Okay? But here's the thing that's challenging about relationships and bridges is not only do you have to do the initial build, but you have to continue to maintain those bridges. You have to continue to maintain those relationships, right? The trials and tribulations of this world, what they do is they try to destroy the bridges in our lives, just like the weather is trying to destroy the San Francisco, the the Golden Gate Bridge all the time. They actually have 110 full-time workers whose sole job is to rebuild the bridge to keep it updated and maintained because of the harsh weather conditions all year round. Okay? So when we talk about conflict resolution, which is what we're about to talk about for the rest of the sermon, what we're talking about is rebuilding and maintaining the bridges in your life. Wise conflict resolution rebuilds and maintains the relational bridges that you have in your life, right? And what I want you to see is that God's wisdom can rebuild the bridges that are destroyed by sin. So we got two points this morning. Very simple. The sin that destroys our bridges, and then the tools that rebuild our bridges. So we're going to look at the sin that destroys our bridges, and then the tools that rebuild our bridges, Okay? I'm going to go through and I'm going to list several different things that the Proverbs tell us destroys our bridges, that destroy relationships, that cause strife in our relationships. Um, They're going to be up there. What I would do if I was you is just write down the topic and write down the verse and then go back and meditate on them. Because the wonderful thing about Proverbs is it's like hard candy. And hard candy, you don't get the taste right away, but you put it in your mouth and the more you work it around, the more you sort of get the flavor. Okay? So... Here, here are some sins that destroy our relationships. Um, the first one is hate. Proverbs 10 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred. Just that, that anger in your heart towards other people because they're different than you, or because they disagree with you, or they don't look like you, or they don't come from where you come from. Hate destroys bridges. The next one's impatience. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Right? Impatience. When you get angry and frustrated people, because they don't operate on your timeline, your schedule, it hurts people and destroys those bridges. Gossip 1628. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. Gossip is dangerous. It's malicious. It's destructive. Gossip is whenever you use the truth in the wrong way. It may be the right thing, but it's not, that doesn't mean it's appropriate for you to say it, right? College students, we do, you do two TBHs, to be honest, right, TBH. Just because you, you know the truth, just because you want a TBH, doesn't mean it's the right time to share it, right? Because that can really hurt people. The next one is mocking, 2210. Drive out a scoffer. And strife will go out. And quarreling and abuse will cease. A mocker is just somebody who sees through everything. They know it all. They got it all figured out. Everybody else is so dumb. And This makes other people feel bad and stupid all the time. You think people are going to want to be around you if you're mocking them all the time? No. It's going to destroy bridges. The next one is drunkenness. Uh, 23, 29 through 30. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without a cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Drunkenness will destroy your relationships. It will. It will cause you to say and do things that hurt other people. The next one's greed, 28, 25. A greedy man stirs up strife. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched, right? When you just want to hoard everything to yourself, when everything is all about you and the possessions that you accumulate, you're going to hurt other people because you're taking from them. And last one, anger, Twenty nine, twenty two. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression, right? Just, just being angry, just seething with anger. It's going to hurt others. It's going to make them feel unsafe and unloved and unwanted around you. We could go on and on. There's lots of them, but I think this is, this is a good start. So let me ask you this. Which one or which ones of these do you struggle with? What are the things in your life that continually come up that hurt those around you and destroy bridges? Uh, If you're like me, you're looking for the option D, all the above, (laughs) right? You maybe look at these, and at one time or another in your life, you see how you've struggled with all these things. Um, I think one of the things that's really common right now, especially with us, with all the restrictions, with the shut-ins, with those sorts of things, is just anger and impatience. I know I feel in my heart just angry, just mad. I want this to be over. I want to get back to my normal way of life. And then I end up taking that out on my wife and my kids my friends and my family members and it destroys those relationships. It hurts people. Anger and impatience. I wish I could say that this is something I've grown out of but it's something I've struggled with for a long time. Uh, When I was in college, I remember uh, I, I lived in a fraternity house so I had three other roommates, there were four of us in one room and early on in uh, when we had we had just moved in it was the first semester we didn't know each other real well uh, one night i was trying to go to sleep and my i, w- I had a top bunk and then we had a, a, tr- a futon underneath us and one of my roommates was studying on the futon in my alarm clock we had alarm clocks back before we had phones back before we had smartphones go to walmart you probably find one alarm clock there someplace my alarm clock was unplugged my roommate was down the futon doing calculus or something like that because he was smarter than i was And so I said, hey, man, I I need to plug in my alarm clock so I can set my alarm so I can go to sleep. Can you do that for me? And he said, sure. And I waited a few seconds. seemed like an eternity to me. And he didn't do it. So I said, hey, man, can you plug in that alarm clock? He was like, sure, yeah, I'll get to it. So I waited and I waited. I started to get angrier and angrier. And then finally, like, the lid blew. Like, the fuse went off and I just exploded and I dropped down out of my... Uh, off the top bunk, I scared him to death. I grabbed it. I, I grabbed the cord. I plugged it in, and I said, "Can't you just plug in the alarm clock?" And I said a lot of other words that I can't say in church. Destroy that relationship. We never had a good friendship. We never had a good relationship. We never talked about it. It totally destroyed that bridge. My anger and my impatience. It's that desire. To have everything operate on your way and your time schedule, and if they don't do it, then somehow they've offended you. So, which one of these do you struggle with? Which one of these does our culture struggle with? I would say that in our culture today, uh, what I see that is just destroying bridges, just tearing people apart, is hate and gossip and mocking with our words spreading false lies, spreading false accusations, demonizing people who disagree with you, getting getting in, in, in the room with all the people that agree with you and just pointing the finger out there and saying, the bad people out there, the bad people that don't think like us, the bad people that don't believe like us, the bad people that don't look like us. It's destroying the bridges in our country. It's causing strife and anger and hatred. And the church has brought it in. We have done the same thing. Let me ask you this. If you, those of you who are in Christian chat rooms or, or, or Facebook groups or social media groups, if, if an objective observer came in and they watched the way you talk about other people, would they think this is a group I want to be a part of? Or would they see gossip and slander and maliciousness? I think they would, Unfortunately. And it's that kind, of, that kind of destruction within the church uh, that really hurts others. And it's that kind of destruction within our culture that really hurts others. Um, recently, I was uh, with a group of pastors. And one of our pastors uh, is an African-American man. His name's Anthony Forrest. And Anthony was telling us a story about a friend of his who was a Christian and was a pastor. And this, this man had done, um, he was African-American as well. And he had done everything he thought he could do. To fit in in the white evangelical church, he had changed the way he looked, the way he talked, the way he dressed, uh, his culture. He'd done everything he could to try to fit in, and they had rejected him continually, over and over again. They had rejected him to a point where he had left the church. Uh, and, and one day, he, uh, he was at home, he got up in the morning, this was recently, he went out, he looked at his car, and somebody hit his car. And he called my friend Anthony. He said, Anthony, you can't believe what they did. They scratched the N word in the side of my car. Hatred, anger, strife, destroying bridges. Sin destroys the bridges that God has built. Our sinful attitudes and actions destroy bridges. If we're gonna experience the deep, constant life and love in our relationships, then we've got to have God's wisdom and power and the Holy Spirit to rebuild these bridges. We've got to use the tools that God has given us to rebuild the bridges destroyed by sin. That's the second thing we're going to talk about. We're going to look at the tools that repair our bridges. So, Sherry and I do a lot of premarital counseling, and when we do premarital cons- counseling, we always have a day or a session where all we do is talk about conflict resolution. And I have 14 points on conflict resolution that I take couples through. I'm not gonna take you through all 14 points this morning. Okay, because I would probably get fired and you would hate me because you'd get hungry and impatient and you'd wanna leave, okay? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sort of lump things together I'm gonna give us, we're gonna look at three tools to help rebuild the bridges. The tool of honesty, the tool of the gospel, and the tool of self-control, okay? So the first thing that we have to do is we have to be honest. We have to begin to confess the things that we do that break bridges. Like I talked about earlier, you've got to look at that list and go, where on this list am I? Where, where, where do I destroy bridges? Is it anger, impatience, mocking, gossiping, drunkenness? And you've got to humbly acknowledge how, when, and where we destroy our bridges. We're far too quick to point out the speck in our brother's eye rather than look at the log in our own eye. Conflict resolution starts with, with taking the, the log out of your eye. Even if in this conflict, your you're part of the conflict is only 5 to 10%, it's only a small percentage, you've still got to take the log out of your eye. Um, parents, I listened to a, a, a Christian counselor recently who said that no parent is perfect, but the most traumatized kids are the ones that come in and say, That come in and say, "My parents did this, and we never talked about it." If you can simply talk about your struggles and confess your sins to your friends and family members, that's going to open up an opportunity to rebuild the bridges. Um, You've got to continue. You've got to communicate openly and honest with honestly with each other. Now, a couple a couple things that you're probably wondering: What about judging? Okay, how do I I talk to people in conflict resolution without judging them? I know college students are very sensitive to not wanting to be judgmental, right? Um, Here's what you have to do. You have to lean on Scripture. The Bible tells us what is a sin and what is not a sin. And the Bible tells us what's a wisdom issue and what's not a wisdom issue. Okay, so you have to discern, is this a sin or is this a wisdom issue? And then you have to discern, is this a personality issue? Because sometimes people are just different, and that's okay. But we can't use our personalities and our wisdom issues to hurt other people. You can't say, just because you're an extrovert, oh, I'm just an extrovert, I'm sorry that I do this to you. Or, oh, this is, my Enneagram number is this, I'm sorry that I offend you. Right? That, that doesn't work, right? That's not loving. So we look to Scripture to tell us how to be honest with each other. Okay, what about when do I engage in conflict resolution? Like, when do I do it? Um, sometimes you're going to need to talk about it, Sometimes you speak the truth in love, and sometimes love covers over a multitude of sins. And I would say as a rule of thumb, the way that you know if you need to go talk about it is, can you forget it? If somebody sins against you, and you can't forget it, and you can't let it go, and you're constantly stewing on it, then you should probably go talk to them about it. If the conflict happens, you know, and, and, and you can kind of go, you know what, that happened, but, but, you know, it's okay, I forgive them, we can go on, and you kind of forget about it, then it's probably okay. You probably don't need to confront. But if you're constantly stewing on it, then you need to go talk to them. Um, so the first thing we have to have is honesty. And it's that honesty that leads into the second tool. And the second tool is the gospel. It's because when we're finally honest about our sin, when we finally come clean and we acknowledge who we are, then we can deal with the fact that God knows exactly who we are. God, God knows it. He sees it all. He sees everything on that list. He sees everything that we do that destroys those bridges. And when we're honest, that opens us up to the gospel. And in the gospel, uh, we, we see the good news that God has built a bridge between us and him. You see, the ultimate bridge, the first bridge that broke, was the bridge between us and God. It's that vertical bridge. God is up here, we're down there. There was a bridge between us so we could have a relationship, but our sin has broken that bridge. Well, In the gospel, through the personal work of Jesus, God has rebuilt that bridge. And we look at the gospel, we see that we're much more sinful and broken than we ever imagined. We see that that all have fallen short, that all have sinned against God, that no one seeks after God, that no one is righteous, no, not one. We see that we have not loved God with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, the news feed of our hearts is sinful. It is a rebellion against God. Our bridge between us and him is broken. The first thing we see in the gospel is we're much more sinful and broken than we ever imagined. And the second thing we see in the gospel is that we're much more loved and accepted than we dared to hope. In the gospel, we see we're much more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope. Because what God did is, instead of staying up there in heaven with that broken bridge between us and him, God came down in the person and work of Jesus. He came down to rebuild the bridge. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live the life that we couldn't live. Jesus lived this sinful life, right? He wasn't, um, he wasn't hateful. He wasn't a mocker. He wasn't a gossiper. He wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't greedy. He didn't do anything on the list that destroys the bridge that we do. Well, maybe you say, well, what about anger? And what about impatience? What about the time Jesus went into the temple and he flipped over the tables and he drove people out? Wasn't he angry and impatient then? Well, I would say this. It certainly looks like Jesus is angry and impatient in that moment. But here's the thing about Jesus that's different than us. Jesus was fully God and fully man. So Jesus knew exactly the right time to do exactly the right thing that would bring justice and righteousness and peace rather than strife. And we don't know how to do that. And we don't have the ability to do that. Jesus did not sin in his anger. We sin in our anger. Jesus' justice flows from a heart of love, whereas our justice flows from a heart of sin. Despite living a perfect life, Jesus... Was beaten, mocked, and scorned, and placed on a cross. And on that cross, he bore the sin, for, he bore all of our sin, and he took all of our punishment that we deserve so that God could forgive us, so that the bridge could be rebuilt. See, in forgiveness, the bridge is being rebuilt in forgiveness, right? He's, the penalty has to be paid so that that bridge can be rebuilt. God rebuilt the bridge between us. And him so that we could have that relationship with him. When Jesus rose, then, so Jesus died on the cross and then he rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, that bridge was complete. And now you and I, we have access by faith to God. The bridge has been rebuilt. We can walk across that bridge and we can experience God's love and acceptance. And all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and trusted him for salvation, the bridge has been rebuilt. God is not mad at you anymore. He is not angry at you. He is a kind and loving father whose heart is always loving and forgiving and gracious to you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to walk across that bridge. And to the degree that we see the forgiveness and grace and love that we have in that gospel, we are going to be able to forgive others in our relationships. Right? We forgive because God has forgiven us. We love because God has loved us. We reconcile because God has reconciled us. And that enables us, when we're in our relationships, to rebuild those bridges. So if you're in conflict with somebody, the first thing you have to do is you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them from your own heart. And I wish Jesus made this optional, but he just doesn't. The Lord's Prayer. Right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said this thing, that unless you forgive others from your heart, you will not be forgiven. We have to forgive people. That's rebuilding our side of the bridge. And then if they forgive us, that's rebuilding their side of the bridge. And once both sides of the bridge have been completed, then we can walk across it and we can have reconciliation. Let me give you two caveats to that. If someone is abusive... You can forgive them, but that does not mean you have to open yourself up to further abuse. It may be helpful for you to cut yourself off from that person to protect you and to protect them. And the second thing is that even when reconciliation takes place, that doesn't mean your relationships look the same. It's just not. Sometimes they're rebuilt for the better, and sometimes they they never go back the way they were. And that's okay. It's sad, but it's okay. It's part of living in a fallen and broken world. But that doesn't mean that we just have to accept that those bridges can't be rebuilt. They can be rebuilt through the gospel. So we have the tool of honesty, the tool of the gospel, and then lastly, we have the tool of Holy Spirit-fueled self-control. Holy Spirit-fueled self-control. Everyone who has faith in Christ has been united to him and has been filled with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And as we continue to live out the gospel in our lives, the Holy Spirit rebuilds us and it rebuilds what we call the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gen- goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control. And as you look through Proverbs, you see that a lot of conflict comes because we don't have self-control. Self-control might be the last of the fruits, but it's certainly not the least, okay? So to promote um, peace and not strife, you've got to have self-control. You've got to learn to control your emotions, your money, your alcohol, and especially your words. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that is wrong, Words are destructive, and the Bible warns over and over again that we've got to be self-controlled with our words. Uh, this proverb made me laugh this week. It's one of the funniest proverbs there are, I think. Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Can we just laugh at that? <laughs> I grew up in the country, well, that's not to disparage I just made a generalization. I'm sorry. I grew up in an area where people like to fight, and I knew people whose mouths invited a beating a lot. And occasionally, my mouth invited a beating. You've got to learn to control your words. As we walk in the gospel, the Holy Spirit allows us to control our words so that we don't hurt others. One thing to remember about your mouth your mouth is a bazooka, not a water gun. You can hurt people with your words. If you're if you have conflict with people, instead of using your words to hurt them, call a timeout, walk away, calm down, find the right words to say, and then go back into the conversation. Another way we've got to self-control with our words is don't share the conflict with people who aren't involved. Don't triangulate, right? You're you've got a, Let's say you've got a conflict with this person, right? Let's me and Sherry. Let's say me and Sherry have a conflict. I can't then go talk to somebody else about that conflict if they're not a part of the problem or the solution. What I've done is I've involved somebody else. I've triangulated them into the problem, okay? I've been, you know, whispering, spreading gossip. It's destructive. It takes self-control. Don't say it. Um, Proverbs 28, 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is, where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. If we can stop the gossip and stop the slander, then a lot of times that will stop the conflict. Okay? And lastly, stay out of conflict that doesn't involve you. Stay out. Just stay out of it. This is what I see a lot on social media is we just get involved in stuff that does not involve us. Like, it just doesn't matter to us. Stay out of it. Here's another proverb that you kind of got to laugh at. Proverbs 26, 17. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Okay, what is that saying? It's saying you've got a stray dog walking on the street. That Generally, stray dogs are not the safest animals, right? It's not your dog. It's not your problem. Don't go up and start grabbing it by the ears and shaking it. You're probably going to get bit. If the problem's not yours, stay out of it. Don't get involved in it. The Holy Spirit can develop that in our lives. So we've got the tool of honesty, the tool of uh, the gospel, and the tool of Holy Spirit-fueled self-control. And as the gospel works, it works these things into our lives. It changes us, and it rebuilds bridges. I want to close with a story I heard this week uh, from a pastor named Tony Evans. Tony Evans has been a pastor for years in the Dallas area. He's the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Mavericks. A phenomenal pastor, preacher, and teacher. And he tells a story of how his family's life was changed when his dad got converted. He said that whenever he was a young boy, uh, I think it was up until the time he was 10, uh, his, his parents were not Christians and his home was filled with strife and anger and hostility and it was just not a good place to be. About the age of 10, uh, something happened. His dad had a conversion experience. His dad became a Christian. His dad totally changed. Totally changed the way he related to his kids and his wife was much more loving and kind and gentle. Uh, he was going to church. He was reading his Bible all the time and the house was a much more peaceful place for them to be. Only the problem was, that Tony's mother hated it. She was not a Christian, and she absolutely hated the fact that he became a Christian. And the more that he read his Bible, and the more that he prayed, the more his wife would just come down on him and, and accuse him and rebuke him. and just, She just tried to make life in the home just as hard as possible. But, but Tony's dad, um, it got so bad that he would have to stay up late at night and get up early in the morning just to read his Bible. Uh, and one, I think he says that one night, Um, His dad was up after midnight reading his Bible, and his mother came out of the bedroom, and she said, I don't understand it. The meaner I am to you, the harder I am on you, the more kinder and gentler and more gracious you are with me. What has happened to you? And she sat down, and he shared the gospel with her, and that night she accepted Christ. And their bridge was rebuilt. Her bridge with God was rebuilt. Their bridge together was rebuilt. The bridges in their family was rebuilt. And their family became a a place of love and hope and happiness. The gospel rebuilds the bridges that sin breaks in our lives. That's good news. If you're looking at your family going, how can my family be a place of peace and love and hope? It's through the gospel. If you're looking for friendships, like I know all of you are, and you want friendships that are going to last, they are going to be built on a solid rock, it only comes through the gospel. If you're looking to parents in a way that promotes peace and harmony, it only comes through the gospel. The gospel rebuilds the bridges that sin breaks. Let's pray that God would give us the Holy Spirit so that we can be bridge builders instead of bridge breakers. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, for the gospel. Uh, We thank you that in your goodness and kindness, you have poured out your spirit on us so that we could be bridge builders instead of bridge breakers. We thank you for rebuilding the bridge between you and us. And we thank you for giving us all the resources necessary to rebuild the bridges around us. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to do it. So we pray that you would send it. Fill our hearts with love, forgiveness, and reconciliation.